Off the Hazel, powered by Golden Tea. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode number 30 of Off the Hosel, a Gary Woodland podcast today as he's number 30 on the FedEx Cup rankings. I'm joined as always by my brother and co-host Troy Koser. Heyo! <laughs> Father Dad is not in attendance today. Uh, yeah, he's taking care of uh, his niece, so um, totally understand that, but Father Dan is out of the studio today troy what the hell is going on i haven't seen you in nine days it feels like eternity since you talked how's it going doing very well uh getting the house sort of somewhat back normal after the flood issues there we got we picked some nice flooring out we got some nice paint you know that what's that line that will ferrell said on his classic uh old school on his on his sunday afternoon What's his, what's, what's his Sunday look like? Give a boy blue. Yeah, oh, that one? I think if we get some time, you know, we might make a little run at Home Depot and maybe if we get time, go to Bed Bath & Beyond. So, yeah, no, that's been my story lately. Uh, got some golf in. I did. I played nice. Avonlea. Beautiful track. I haven't played in a long time. It's mint, I heard. And I actually, well, I had it on the pole there. Was I going to shoot sub 90? I, I said you would. And I shot 86, and I was very proud of that. Oh, are you? So, uh yeah, no, life's good. Having fun. You, what's going on in your bubble? Done. Uh, my hockey camp is all done now for the for the duration of the summer. Kind of just getting looking forward now to more podcasting with you, and I mean, obviously, a less uh, another thing off my plate. So, uh, I was golfing this weekend, and I have to um, make an apology to the Royal Regina and a, a bunch of my fellow competitors. Um, you know what? I've I've never done this in my life. And so anyhow, the Thomas Ross Cup was this weekend, and it's a big tournament, scratch match play. Basically, the winner and the and the loser both get a spot on the team for the Fraser Cup that happens in September. Right. And the winner of the B side, Constellation side, uh, also gets a spot. Anyhow, so more times than not, I like to go after, get after it for attorney, and usually I come, you know, play some guilty golf. So me and my gal go to a party. I'm home by 11.30. I had one beverage, Molson. No, legit. I had one Molson beverage, went home. I packed up my golf clubs, or my golf clothes, two Powerades by the door. I don't know why I wouldn't put in the fridge. I mean, warm Powerades. Ready to go. I set six alarms. I looked at my alarm clock on my phone 15 times. Okay. Fans on in the room. I fall asleep. It's 8.05. I have three missed phone calls from Dean Brown. A text from our general manager. Multiple other texts. <laughs> Man, I was, I was so embarrassed. I remember I call, I called Dean. I, I thought I was gonna cry. I'm did, like, Dean. Did, didn't he already call you out once this year on the podcast? No, that's about like we we're figuring out with tea time, like oh, figuring out. Okay. But no, this is like, I was so embarrassed. I call, I'm like, Dean, I'm so sorry, man. I've never, like, blah blah. What can I do? Like, kick me out of the tournament if you have to. Like, like, get me out of it. No, 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 no. It's all right. Shit happens. Like, come play. Anyways, I, I missed the tea time. 
And to be honest, I was very embarrassed. I was very, you know, it, it, I've never done it before. So obviously I lost and I called Josh Mercier supposed to play him. It would have been a fun match. He's a great player. I called him and said, hey, buddy, sorry, man. Like I was looking forward to our match today. I mean, I, I wish I was hung over to tell a good story, but um, I, I wasn't. And so I wanted to apologize everyone uh, on the podcast today as I did at the golf course. But they gave me some, uh, I got ribbed pretty good by those guys. But you know what? I went out in my match in, in, the, in the afternoon at 1 o'clock. Played a great player, Dan Morin, great player. Um, his Twitter handle is uh, CocaineDan88. Uh, is that the same Dan Morin from O'Neill? Yeah, years works at Everett as well with you. Yeah. He's a couple years younger than me. Yeah, yeah beauty. Uh, ended up beating him 5-4, and four. so I played really good golf there. And then I actually did wake up for Sunday's round at 7 a.m. And I lost to uh, Josh's dad, uh, Patty, Marcia, uh, it, Patty Marcia, in extra holes on hole 20. So great match with Patty. He sent me a text after. Uh, you know, I, I just can't beat the guy. He's a, he's a hell of a player. And... And good job to him, and and congrats to Mitch Matichuk who won the event, uh, taking down Jason Gallon, who's a hell of a player as well. Um, so that's my apology and my golf update for the weekend. Anything else, Troy? We want to move on to some uh, PGA talk here. I think PGA talk is what the people want to hear, not us rambling. All right. Well, I never apologize. <laughs> never did that. All right. So uh, PGA talk. Uh, Michael Thompson, winner of the 3M. Wow. Did we get stroked on our bets or what? No comment. How about Tommy Fleetwood? Did hey, he although, make the cut? Although, he was, I, well, I know I texted you Thursday and Friday. Uh, God, that's who I picked, right? Kyle Stanley. Thank you. <laughs> Kyle Stanley, who was there first two days. He was one shot off first day, two shots off second day. And then, yeah, the wheels fell off the bus. And, yeah, we sucked this week. But I had, well, Fleetwood. Me yeah. and, me and uh, the, uh, the what's his name? The priest. <laughs> Dan, Danny. The priest. <laughs> What's Dan? Oh, Reverend Dan. Um, oh. So we had Tommy Fleetwood to win. Yeah, he missed the cut. And then we actually had Charlie Hoffman as, as a flyer. Actually, you know what our flyer was that people actually listened? It was Abe Answer. Didn't play. Didn't, didn't show up. Play. Didn't that was show a, up. That was bad on our part, hey? <laughs> so we switched, though, but we had Charlie Hoffman. And I actually, he, he was in dead last after day one. So I cashed out our $5 that we had left in it and put it on someone else. And... Yeah, to say the Reverend and I and you got absolutely stroked. I was the closest again, but you know what? Close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. So we'll get to that, uh, our picks later for the upcoming tournament here. We want some exciting news, maybe. I know we have some really exciting news. So quickly, though, let's segue into some uh, golf Saskatchewan talk. Why don't we backtrack and still continue to some PGA talk? Okay, sure. Oh, sorry. Go on. Where are we playing this weekend? Oh, good question. Next up, the next event is in Memphis. Elvis Tennessee, country. Elvis country, the world golf championship, championship in St. Jude. Yeah, it should be fun. <sighs> and you, big field, big well, field. We'll talk about our picks yeah, later, but yeah. that's our next event. Now let's move into some golf Saskatchewan talk. What a tournament. It was hilarious. We talked, I talked to Dino on Sunday. He goes, or no, maybe Friday it was. And he goes, yeah, so I, you're not playing in the AM? I said, no, I got my hockey camp. I got some podcasts and doing blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, you can't win if you don't play. I said, yep. Right. And and someone else asked me the next day, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, um, so he shoots 11 under par. I'm like, yeah. My, or it was, it was dad. He goes, so Danny Kluhart shoots 11 under on day three to get tied with Ty Campbell. And dad goes, why, why didn't you play? I said, well, I, I couldn't go. He goes, oh, because you, cause you weren't going to shoot 11 under? <laughs> <laughs> I seen somebody on our Twitter post or on our with our Twitter page posted on a nice bogey after he shot 60, yeah. 62 or right? 62, yeah. And somebody says nice bogey. I'm like, 
What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but we had Danny on the show quickly for a quick update on the uh, on his round. Uh, great guy. He's a hell of a player. He ended up winning the men's mid again, back-to-back, uh, and ended up losing to a uh, good buddy of mine, Ty Campbell, Chubbs. Was that Mr. Eagle 18? That was Mr. Wow. Eagle 18, and I think, honestly, we should get him on the phone right now. I think so. Mr. Ty Campbell, how you doing? Coach, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, man. Thanks for joining the Off the Haza podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, we figured that. I mean, uh, Troy just dipped out for a quick five minutes here, but it's just you and I here. We figured that we'd have you on the show after pff, what a week, man. Yeah, it was crazy. Congratulations again from all of us over here. Thank you very much. So let's talk about that week. You know, you're playing college golf down south. You come up here, you know, obviously with COVID, you know, hit and miss about practicing and whatnot. But now you're in full full stride here. Um, yeah, man, let's let, let's walk us through days one, days two. You, you shoot 500 back-to-back rounds. You must be feeling it. Yeah, I, uh, I sure was. Um, I played two practice rounds Sunday, Monday, and played really solid had a real good day on monday so i had a lot of confidence going in and the course was unreal it was an absolute treat putting on those greens um being able to hit a putt that actually stays online and blows true um so that helped a lot but the first two days was a treat they were uh pretty solid i hit it good didn't really get myself in any trouble off the tee was hitting fairways hitting greens and my putter was hot those first two days which was very nice I felt like I could make a bogey and still had a chance to make a lot of birdies because the putter for sure felt really good I knew that putts were going in so would you say this year to I mean rather than prior years are, are, are you putting more work in? I mean, obviously, you just mentioned you played two practice rounds before uh, before the round, or the sorry, sorry, the event. Uh, were you putting more work in uh, before Warren? Definitely. Um, came home from school early, and I had to quarantine and couldn't really do much. Like, was just sitting at home doing nothing, so I got the itch real bad. And then the tournament started getting canceled, which sucked. And so, I don't know, there was really nothing to do. So I was always at the course, and I got a little bit more motivation to kind of go at it with school ending and the thought of wanting to turn pro. I was like, now's the time where I got to start taking this game a little bit more seriously. So prior to the M, I had put in a lot of work at the course and not so much just being out there but being a lot more intentional that when I'm out there what I'm doing and even when I wasn't at the course I was always trying to learn something that I could put in the bag and get better that way but it was definitely a lot of work went into the good play which worked out real nice for sure so let's talk about round three I believe you shoot what 72 or are you even or one over I was 
one under the third day, 71. Sorry, one under. Um, you know, and, and obviously Danny, we, we talked with him. He shoots uh, a 62. Now, <laughs> was there ever a time in your head, I mean, you're at, you're at your house or you're like, holy shit, you know, I did a grind tomorrow. I mean, or were you just kind of going with the motions every day and, you know, just keep my head down and, and just keep playing? Because I know if I'm someone shoots 62, someone's on my tail. Now, where, yeah, what, where was your head at absolutely. going from day three to day four? Uh, day three, I think we were on hole 14 or something, and we heard some rumors that Danny was taking her deep. And then we got to 16T, found out he was 9-under, and I think I was sitting at even. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> finish strong here. <laughs> uh, try and keep that top position. And so I played it out and ended up birdieing 18 to shoot one under and tie for the lead. But, I mean, phenomenal round by Danny. Like, the, it wasn't easy. The first probably 12 holes we had to deal with some heavy wind and it rained a little bit for a couple holes uh, and then it kind of died out there a little bit at the end but Danny was ahead of us so he didn't he had to battle the conditions a lot more than we did and he pieced together a very impressive round but after the round um, I mean I was obviously still in a pretty good spot tied for the lead but I had lost five shots because I had a five <laughs> shot lead the day before so there was definitely a little bit of sweat pouring off me I was a little nervous and then coming out the final day I felt really good like I mean I've been working hard all summer and now is the time where I kind of just go out there and have fun and play my game like I had a lot of confidence in my golf game where it's at and I tried not to worry about what was going on with anyone else and stick to my game plan. But as soon as I got on the first tee, that kind of all changed. The nerves kicked in and <laughs> um, I hadn't been in that spot too many times and it was kind of a new experience for me. Um, but I just tried to keep my head in the right space and focus on my game, but got off to a really tough start that first day and was kind of, shaking in my boots a little but i just tried to keep pushing forward well yeah i mean i was watching the video of you uh, absolutely making a bomb on 18 to capture the 2020 men's amateur championship now quickly ty what was that moment like for you your family you know all the hard work you put in uh you know granted it's amateur but i mean hey that, that's a very hard tournament to win and you managed to do so on day four after a great week of golf so i mean quickly here just uh, touch on, you know, how awesome that feeling was for you. Uh, it was unreal, but I didn't really get the chance to take it in until we got to the scoring tent. I was pretty flustered on the front nine, playing terrible, and then I found I found it on the back. I just cleared my head and figured just piece some together and at least go out with a respectable round. So I played really well. Putts weren't dropping, and then got to 18, and I was due. I knew, <laughs> I knew something had to fall. Um, 
I didn't really know where I stood. I know I know Danny made double and then back to back bogey, so I knew I was getting real close. And standing on eighteen T, I was just like, "You you got to make eagle." And so I stepped up and hit two really good shots to get close to the green. Ball was sitting just in the fringe and walking up. I had a really good feeling about the putt, and it went in. Uh, Danny missed his birdie putt, and I thought that his par putt was for a playoff. And then as I was walking off the green, people started congratulating me, and then it kind of all kicked in that I had won. And that's when, I don't know, the the emotions kind of started pouring in. Oh, I'm getting chills, Chubbs, right now. I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills right now listening to you talk. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I had quite a bit of family there uh, watching, and then of course a lot of friends and competitors cheering me on and getting behind me, which was great to see. And playing with Danny and Scott the last day was an absolute treat. Those two guys have unbelievable golf games, and it was it was fun to watch and play against. Well, right on their time. I mean, this is the 2020 Men's Amateur Golf Saskatchewan Champion. Uh, Ty, I, I want to congratulate you again. I mean, I know the whole Off the Hazel podcast crew is very happy for you. Uh, me especially, you know, I mean, you're, uh, you're a great kid. And, I mean, yeah, unbelievable uh, job by you. And I can't wait to uh, get on golf with you soon here. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. I look forward to that. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you later, Chubbs. Take care. All right, sounds good. See you, This episode of Off the Hosel is brought to you by Extreme Hockey and Sports and Umbrella Marketing Solutions. One stop for all your sports, marketing, and corporate team and sales. Come down and see Donnie and Daphne for all your sports and corporate needs or contact at this number, 306-539-6101 or email donnyyearen at extremehockey.net. That's D-O-N-N-Y-U-H-R-E-N at extremehockey.net. Alrighty, there it is. The 2020 Men's Amateur Golf Saskatchewan Champion, Ty Campbell. Couldn't be more happy for a guy like him. Uh, obviously, great playing by Danny and you know, Scotty Thompson, who we're actually going to have on the podcast at some point here. Um, but great playing by all those guys. Congrats to uh, Chubbs. Yeah, great kid there. Uh, congrats to him and uh, best Everyone of luck else. in the future. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. I like that. Okay, uh, so we're moving on now to our... Uh, our gambling degenerate corner here. Uh, I think it's time. Money. Here we go. Money talk. Here we money. go. Money, it's money. money. This is slowly becoming oh. my favorite segment. <laughs> Hello, all you degenerates and gamblers of the golf world. We have some, I would say, exciting news, but also breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. Um, yes. We're not going to call them just yet, but we're going to call this. This is now brought to you by my buddy, <laughs> my buddy, the gambling app. You know what? Big weekend this week coming up in the PGA golf world at the St. Jude world golf championships. Hockey's back. Basketball is playing. Baseball is on. And so my buddy is proudly joining off the Hazel podcast. You can even bet on the next guy to get COVID. Ooh. <laughs> Too soon? 
No, it's not. But that's like how, wow, my booty, my booty. Super yeah. excited for that one. Pretty pumped. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to our picks now. There, Troy, we'll go to you first. No, host always. Oh, okay. We'll go to me first. My pick on Monday, July 26th was his birthday. He's a man rocket with a hat on. He's an old man with a hat off. Mr. Jordan Spieth. And tell me the payout, please. Well, on a $20 wager, Drew, through my bookie, that will return you $1,020. And uh, after Troy? Well, I was looking through my list. I was studying all weekend. And today. You know, I'm going to go again. Dark horse. But I really like him. I'm going to go with Mr. Joaquin Neiman. Joaquin Neiman. One more time. Joaquin Neiman. W-A-K. No, J-O-A. Use it in a sentence, please. Uh, how can you spelling walking down the street? I don't know. Anyways, on a $20 wager, he's going to pay out a nice little chunk of change at one. So 10, 10, 10, 10. One, well, Danny's not here. No, 10, 10, 10, 10. Sure, we'll split it down the middle. 1620. is the payout on a $20. Alrighty. There it is. My bookie, use my bookie. If you don't, you're dead to me. We will have promo codes for our listeners shortly. We will. So stay tuned and listen in. Now, quickly here, obviously, we just mentioned uh, NHL is back. Uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out here and obviously some tough news that he found out. You know, a good friend of the show, Eric Howardchuck, uh, his dad is just uh, now back on his second battle of cancer. Uh, we are getting some shirts from him and his website will be up on Thursday. So tomorrow and you know what? Go go get a shirt for him. You know, Dale Howard is a legend, Hall of Famer. Eric's a great kid. You know, he's been through a tough time. And, you know, Troy, I know you've been through the same experience, but we wanted to send, you know, our prayers and our positive vibes toward the Howard Chuck family. I was talking to Eric today. You know, they're, they're pretty positive right now. And, you know, they're, they're getting their charity all done up here for golf and, and, and all that stuff. So we're going to give us some, you know, some ads for them too and how, where to go and, and whatnot. So Howard Chuck Strong. 10. Howard Chuck strong so keep them in your prayers as always uh, I don't know much more Troy do you have anything else before we send it on over to our guest today I just even announced who our guest is yet today well we haven't but before we do I want to plug the social media handles because that's part of my job description so on Twitter and Instagram it's at underscore off the hosel Facebook off the hosel thank you to everyone who entered the contest uh, congrats to oh Kurt Kurt Gianni Kurt Gianni yeah Gini? Kurt Genie. Genie and Bob. Congrats and, and thank you everyone for entering. Thanks to all our sponsors. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to have another contest coming up here shortly. Um, yeah, let's. So, our guest today is before we send on over to him right now, is a 18 year NHL veteran. He's played a ton of games. He is tough as nails. He's six foot four standing, had a greasy mullet. Uh, the Reverend Dan is not here today to, to ask him about that. But uh, Mr. Sean Burke, you know, reached out to him. He's an avid golfer, loves the game of golf. And, you know, I think that's him calling us right now. So I think we should get it on the phone now with uh, Sean Burke. I hope everyone will enjoy this interview because I think it's uh, this will be a great one. Alrighty, today we are pleased to be joined by 18-year NHL veteran. He played 820 NHL games, played for multiple teams, but spent most of his time with the late Hartford Whalers and spent majority of his career in Phoenix. He was the GM of the uh, Team Canada in 2018 Olympics, former goalie coach, and much more. Our guest today is Sean Burke. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Sean. You're welcome, guys. How are you doing? Huh, not too bad. We're 
down here in sunny, hot, no wind Saskatchewan, but windy on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I'm in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, so um, not a lot of uh, not a lot of wind here, but the weather's pretty good right now. So I was just curious. I mean, obviously, you just, well, you mentioned that you're in Traverse. Um, I mean, how are you doing? How are things down there with uh, obviously the whole uncertain uncertainty with uh, COVID? Not too bad. It's um, it's one of those areas that I think got ahead of it a little bit. You know, they got hit pretty hard here in Michigan early on. And uh, I, I think they did a pretty good job of uh, shutting a lot of stuff down right away. And I was in Arizona um, and got out of there, I think, just in time because um, it, uh, it really got bad there. And for a long time, it was, uh, it was like you were living in a bubble there. Uh, <laughs> golf courses were open. Everything was seemingly normal and uh it came back to bite them a little bit so uh you know it's uh, unfortunate uh, the whole world's dealing with it but uh, right now here in, in this area anyway it's not too bad so are you living down there like full-time now in Travers? no i live in arizona full-time but i go oh. out here in the summer um, my wife is from this area so we get out of the heat if anybody's ever spent uh, july august in arizona <laughs> uh, it's 116, I think, today, so it's uh, it's good to get out of there for a little while. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be nice for golf. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, <laughs> you got to be prepared for it. I I actually have played in weather that's, you know, 110, 112, um, but, yeah, it's not easy, and if you're not used to it, if you don't drink a lot of water and you don't hydrate it, it can get tough on you, but uh, you do get more used to it than you'd imagine if you live down there for a long time and i've been there for over 20 years now so for sure i, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty used to it <laughs> so i'd like to backtrack things to here now to a young sean burke life uh what were you up to growing up in windsor ontario i mean how was that i actually didn't really grow up in windsor i know i know um it, it you know uh, i was born there so everybody assumes that i spent a lot of time there as a youngster but we actually moved away my family relatively early i was only a couple uh, months old we moved up to toronto and uh so i you know i grew up in toronto and my brother actually still lives in windsor and i have family down there but i grew up downtown toronto and really a good good spot for a young kid who loves hockey there's obviously uh, no shortage of it there and uh, growing up uh, with the Leafs and watching watching them, but I was I was a huge hockey fan from a very young age. So I'm just curious, and, and, and I know Troy is as well. When did you get into sports? I mean, were, were you really young, or were you? I mean, yeah. Let's just talk about that. Fairly young, I, I think that um, hockey was the first sport that I got excited about, and you know, a lot of that I think just comes from when you live in a city like Toronto, there's, there's a lot of media attention on the Leafs and any young kid can turn on hockey night Canada on Saturday night. And I, uh, I think I really just gravitated towards hockey that way. And then when I was about eight years old, I started playing organized hockey. So I wasn't really, really young compared to when some kids start, but, um, there's a lot of outdoor rinks in those days and access to hockey. Uh, so for anybody who, as a youngster, wanted to take up the sport. There was a lot of opportunity. You didn't have to be from a wealthy family. You, you didn't have to play travel hockey to get good competition. So it was quite a bit different back then. So moving into your junior hockey days, you played two years for the, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the Toronto Marlboros. How was that experience? And then you moved on to play for the Canadian international team. Let's talk about that. 
Well, I got drafted by my hometown in junior. So, yeah, I played with the, uh, the Marlboros, and it was a, a storied franchise. They'd been around a long time. They were they were sort of, um, you know, the team that in Toronto, we, we weren't obviously a big draw because you had the Maple Leafs. So playing in, in Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, there was a lot of nights when there wasn't a very big crowd in there, and uh, and it wasn't maybe the most intimate place for, for a kid to play or for a young guy to play, but, but you were playing in Maple Leaf Gardens, and that's where the Leafs played. So a lot of scouts came to the games. It was um, easy for people to come and access and watch games. So it was great. I, I think it, um, it definitely helped me get drafted. I got a lot of exposure and uh, played my first uh, two years of junior in my hometown, and then I went off and played for the national team once I got drafted, and that was uh, another whole great experience that I was very lucky to be able to do at a young age. Right. So, Sean, when, when was your moment where you just went, oh, my God, like the NHL could actually be a thing. This this could be a career, a job for me, you know. When did that moment hit you where you realized, yep, this, this, is, this is my future career? Yeah, that's a good question because I think everybody um, probably has that, that moment when they maybe recognize that there's a chance for you to uh, to progress. But I think a lot of it is, is sort of the progression of playing junior hockey or if you're playing in college maybe. But in, in those days, you know, you had guys that went up to NHL camps from your team and then they came back and played with you during the year. And you started to compare yourself to guys and think, well, if that guy was good enough to get drafted, he played – you know, in a training camp, then maybe I, you know, I'm good enough. And you just had a good way to gauge yourself finally in junior hockey. And it's still a dream, even at that age, no matter how, um, you know, close you're getting to it, it's still a dream and not something that you really believe until you, until you get the chance. But at least it gives you, at that stage of your life, it gives you something to compare yourself to. And you start to, uh, you start to decide how hard you really want to work at getting there because you, you also know it's going to be extremely competitive and, uh, it's it's not uh, it's not like every guy makes it, and it's, it, the, the odds are very small. Um, but uh, you know, I got to that stage in junior where I thought, yeah, I, I think I may have a chance, depending on how uh, how much I continue to progress. So, Sean, I'm just I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit here to the uh, Canadian international team as a junior. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Do they still have that? I mean, because I know they have the U.S. development team. No, there was no, um, there is no development uh, team for Canada as far as a, a national team. In those days, it was much different. The world was much different. You didn't have the Russian players hadn't come over to the NHL yet. You didn't have a lot of the Czech players. There was Europeans in the league, obviously some Swedes and Finns, but a lot of the top players, especially in those countries, were still playing back in Russia or Czechoslovakia. And, as it was known then, it's the Czech Republic now. In those days, it was Czechoslovakia. But um, for Canada to compete at the Olympic level, you know, you had to have a national team. You needed you needed to put your team together and play together, go over and play tournaments, or else you just had no chance at all against those teams. And uh, and so for a young guy, it was a great experience. You travel the world, and you're in countries that you never imagined you'd be in. And looking back, you're you're in those countries during the time of communism and, and everything was so different back then, but what a great experience and, and for sure a great way for a young guy to develop. Yeah, no kidding. So fast forward to 1985, NHL entry draft. New Jersey Devils select you in the second round, 24th overall, I believe. 
Um, second round for a goalie. Like, that's that's pretty damn high. Like, you must have been highly touted. Uh, do you care to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I was... I was a good prospect, but I think there was probably uh, a half a dozen fairly good goalie prospects in that draft. And in those days, and I'm not sure it's not fairly similar now, a lot of teams, when when a goalie was drafted, then other teams would jump in and draft the goalie. It it was almost like a bit of a sparring sparring match. Guys' teams were waiting for somebody to take a goalie. So I went... I went first for goalies, but I think Mike Richter went right after me. Um, I want to say that uh, Kay Whitmore was in that draft. You had um, a kid named uh, Gamble that went to Vancouver, and, and, and all of us were were drafted like fairly fairly close to each other. So I was a good prospect. I I was touted of uh, as a guy that may go in the first round. And, uh, you know, I slipped into the second round. But like I said, I, I think a lot of teams waited to take a goalie. And I wasn't expecting to go to New Jersey. It wasn't a team that showed a lot of interest, um, you know, on the surface. Uh, there, there were other teams that I had talked to during the year that had taken me out for interviews and things like that. But uh, Lou Lamorello and, and New Jersey and Max McNabb and that whole uh, group that they had there, they were, they were pretty sharp and and they always they always stock their coverage pretty full with uh, with good young goaltenders. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I wanted to bring up a little fun fact to our listeners, something you probably didn't even know, Sean. But you had mentioned Kay Whitmore. He was uh, he was part of a big trade in 1995 for our cousin Joey Koser. Joey went from New York to Vancouver for Kay Whitmore. I was born that year. I don't know if you ever knew that or not, but that's a little fun fact. I, I didn't I didn't know that, but I um, I still see Kay. He does a great job for the NHL. He works for the NHL, and uh, you know he had a very good junior career, a good NHL career, and a lot of those um, a lot of those guys you had played against in junior and got to play against through your whole professional career. And hockey's such a small world, and uh, as you guys know, there's so many connections and. Uh, you know, you can you can tell a story about one guy, and and there's there's five other stories that will come <laughs> out of it. So, um, I think that that year, as I said, it was uh, it was a really good crop of uh, of young goaltenders, and and uh, and a lot of those guys ended up, of course, Mike Richter playing a long time and winning the Stanley Cup. So I, I felt, uh, looking back, I was I was fortunate to be uh, be drafted when I was. So I, I just to elaborate on Troy's question. I mean, for a young scout like myself. And you, who are a scout as well, um, you know, in the Western Hockey League down here, you know, we don't see goalies going, you know, to the late rounds, 10, 11, 12, and later. Like, that, that's why, I mean, I wrote that down because I was just curious, like, because I don't know, maybe it's different in the NHL than, you know, Bantam Hockey that going in the Western League. I was just curious, like, like, where do you see goalies if you were drafting for, like, the OHL or the Western League or the, or the Q? Well, I think it's still the most um, obviously impactful position on your team. So you want to have you want to have you know strong goaltending. You want to draft strong goalies. But I, I think there's still a lot of unknown, um, especially when kids are that age at every position. But but goaltenders generally take a little bit longer to mature. Or at least that's been the history. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore uh, when you get up to the pro level. But yeah, the mindset and especially. Uh, for teams that maybe don't have a dedicated goalie scout, just somebody's focusing on that, it's difficult because to step up 
as a scout and push for a goaltender, especially if you haven't played the position or it's not your expertise, uh, it's really hard to do. And I think for that reason, uh, among other reasons, you know, teams are sometimes just a little bit reticent to uh, to jump in and draft goalies young or, or high, especially when they're young like that. Yeah, for sure. So 1992 comes along, and you're uh, you're, you're playing for the uh, historic team that's no longer in the league, Hartford Whalers. Uh, how was that experience? Who are some of the guys you got to play with that you know you just got to stand there at the crease and watch them go? Oh my God, these guys are good. Yeah, that was an interesting um, <laughs> you know number of years for me in the NHL of playing in Hartford. It was a it was a great place to play. It was a it was a great uh, family community. It was. Um, it was a place that the fans really respected and appreciated the players. You were, you were the big game in town, really, for lack of a better term. They, they had college basketball was really big in Connecticut, but as far as professional sports, uh, we we were the we were the team in town that everybody uh, everybody followed. So, from that standpoint, uh, we were treated extremely well, and uh, and it was enjoyable because you could you could go out and you know have dinner and. You know, people may recognize you, but they always respected the players. Unfortunately, the, the game, the dynamics of, of the, the economics in the game changed, and it made it really difficult for a small market like that. But um, looking back, you know, a lot of good players came through there. I, you know, Chris Pronger was there the first year we drafted him, and uh, I played with, you know, Keith Primo was there. Brendan Shanahan came through there. Wow. Paul Coffey came through there. I mean, there was a lot of uh, really a lot of really good players that came through there while I was there, and um, you know, a lot of guys still around the league now who came through Hartford and are coaching or managing, and uh, and that organization, uh, you know, developed some pretty good people. That's crazy. I didn't know that Paul Coffey went through uh, through Hartford. I mean, I, I wasn't born then, but I'm sure Troy might have known that. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, he he came through in a. He was actually in the trade that sent Shanahan to Detroit. So, um, oh, you know, really? we had we had picked up Shanny, and he he was only there a short time, a full year, I think, and and then he was moved on to Detroit. And uh, I want to say Primo Primo came the other way. Coffee was in that deal. So there was there was a lot of guys that that came through Hartford. Unfortunately, you know, the team was was gone by '97, and, um, and you know, Carolina's. Has, really done a great job that franchise which didn't start out is a, is a very good hockey town or, or a place at least that you know was traditionally a hockey town and they've they've really done a great job down there and the fans uh, obviously winning a stanley cup helps but uh, that's that's quite a history that that franchise has and, uh, and and again a lot of a lot of good players came through there so quickly before our next question what is your thoughts on you know carolina stormtrooper stuff Well, I you know i I don't really um, I don't really have a lot to say. I mean, I, I think when you know again, I, you'd have to kind of fill me more in on the details of what you mean by that. But um, you know, I, I just know that that franchise it, it got off to a bit of a rocky start. I mean, nobody had any idea about hockey down in Carolina. The, the game production there was a lot of NASCAR fans. There was a lot of um, you know, non-traditional hockey fans didn't really understand the game, but I, I really, you got to give them credit. I mean, it, it's its a place now that has really become, uh, at least if not maybe a, a traditional hockey town, they love their team. And, 
and they support it well, and, and they've done a good job there having a competitive team. Um, but uh, like I said, those are all uh, those are all things that take time, and, and, and it has taken time. Yeah, so I, I guess, I mean, obviously you just mentioned how passionate the fans are. I was just curious, what are your thoughts on, you know, when they win a game and they're playing dodgeball on the ice or they're, you know, they're playing ring around the rosy or like that stuff? Oh, yeah. I, I, sorry, I misunderstood. All good. The, my bad. <laughs> the, term, the, the term you were using. Well, you know what? I don't. I, I, I think that every team, um, you know, has their own has their own traditions that they create. And, uh, you know, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I think that uh, uh, if that's something that that organization has developed, has become part of their tradition, good for them. It's great. Uh they're, they're they're thinking outside the box a little bit, and yeah. you know our game <laughs> our game is such a good game to watch. But uh, there's always there's always going to be characters and other and other things that surround it. And hey, give them credit for coming up with something that's a little bit different than everybody else. So, Sean, you played in the 1991 Olympics and win gold. How special was that? You also had to play with some special players. Let's talk about that experience. Well, yeah, not to correct you, I didn't play in the 90, the Olympics were 92, I played in the Canada Cup in 90. Sorry, Canada Cup. Um, which is, yeah, no no problem, I didn't I didn't want to correct you, but I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want you to either, uh, you know, to, to later be kicking yourself, um, because there are so many international events, and in those days, yeah, it was known as the Canada Cup, and then the Olympics followed right after, uh, so there was a lot of things going on, but I... I played on the '91 Canada Cup team, and I and I didn't play. I was I, I ended up being uh, one of the uh, you know backup goalies. We had three goalies that year. We had Bill Ranford, who ended up playing the games, and then myself and Eddie Belfour uh, were the backups. But that was an incredible team. You had you had Gretzky on it. You had Messier on it, and and just uh, you know a host of um, other superstars. So just being around it, uh, being in practice every day, being uh, on the ice and, and competing to, first of all, make that team and then be a part of it was was a great experience. And, and what it did for me personally was it it sort of propelled me um, the, the next year into being able to go, go to the Olympics. I, I left the NHL. I went back and played in the Olympics. And um, that experience with the 91 Canada Cup team gave me a lot of confidence. So... It, uh, it helped me down the road, but at the time, it wasn't really what I was thinking about. And uh, and sure enough, I ended up back in the Olympics in 92. So quickly to touch on that, now, I mean, I may be wrong again. Was that the year that you guys wore blue pants? Uh, I think we wore the blue pants in 88. 88? Um, oh, I'm bad today. Yeah, 88. <laughs> Nin- 90, yeah, 92, I believe we were we were back to sort of all red. Uh, red and white, but um, you know the memory gets a little bit fuzzy when you start going back into the late '80s and early '90s. Like I have to apologize. Well, I wasn't even born yet, so now I feel like I mean, hey, I'm just shooting for the stars here. So I'll let Troy take the mic now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should be asking the questions. So, Sean, I mean, <laughs> throughout your NHL career, you, you obviously played with well, I'm going to say hundreds, if not a thousand, or thousands of different players. Who are some of the absolute standouts that you got to watch and go, wow? Myself. Yeah, well, there's a lot of um, <laughs> yeah, a lot a, a lot of guys that uh, I think, especially looking back, I, you know, maybe when you're in the middle of it, you don't always appreciate the, the talent that you, you know that's around you, and um, 
you know, you don't you don't take note of it, you know, on a daily basis. But as, as time moves on, you look back at guys and what they did in their careers. Obviously, Brendan Shanahan had an outstanding career, and you know, we were roommates in New Jersey when we were both young kids. And Brendan Brendan was a was a fighter. He was a grinder more in those first couple of years. That was the role he sort of filled on that team. And to his credit, he filled it extremely well. But underneath all that, there was a, you know, a, a, a great talent, a great goal scorer. And eventually that all came out and look at the career he had. So I think sometimes you, know, you play with a lot of those type of guys that you, you see them as a younger player and then they develop and they go on and have an incredible career um, and, you know, some of the defensemen that I was fortunate to play with, I mean, in, in, in Phoenix, we had a guy named Teppo Newman, who oh, yeah. wouldn't be at the top of every, everybody's list as a, as a superstar, but he was, he was, um, a very, very, you know, solid, but consistent showed up every night was a really, really effective player. And uh, I, I like to think of, of him at times because he made my job so much easier when I was in Arizona and, and I don't think most people ever, like I say, would give him that kind of credit. And then, of course, I played with Pavel Burry in a couple oh. of places. I played with Pav in Vancouver. I played with Pav in Florida. Um, you know, his his obviously his speed and his skill and and just uh, the natural ability he had was, was something to watch. And, you know, he jumped out at you a lot of nights, especially in Florida the one year. I think he scored just about every single night. Um, and, and he had that ability do that so those those would be some of the guys but again I, I would just be slighting a lot of other guys because you know sometimes you're more you're more um, ready to remember guys for for those type of things but then there's a lot of those players that you play with who they're, they're such good character guys and they have such a good work ethic and they, they have the skill but they bring so many other things that other people don't get a chance to see but they but that you're around every day and you learn from and you admire. So uh, lucky when you play a long time. One of the things that goes with that is playing with a lot of players and uh, being fortunate that way. So, Sean, how often, like, I mean, I do this uh, with my junior team, not until, like, my third year coaching, I started asking our goaltenders, hey, what do you see out there? What do you see in the game? I didn't, and this is not a knock on goalies, maybe it is, and you, you can hang up if you want to, but I didn't know how smart goalies are. Goalies know the game very well, right? Well, I I think that's probably true for, for most of them. Yeah, I mean, I really think that um, it's it's a position that you have you know a lot of time. You're sitting back and watching. You're you're watching things develop. You're um, you're seeing plays form in front of you, both yeah. from your own team defensively getting out of your zone and the other team's forechecking and those and those sort of things. So. You know, you have you have a I guess an advantage in, in the standpoint that uh, you're watching at times, but you're right in the middle of it at, at the same time. So, over a lot of years, I would hope, um, at least in my case, I've learned a few things and maybe understand the game okay. But uh, you know, again, if if, uh, if if you're not if you're not a guy after all that time that's played that, that doesn't have it figured out to a certain degree, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so. Sean, I was going to save this question for one of our uh, questions from the gallery segment, but I got to ask now, just because Drew got to ask you that. And again, I'm going to say it right away. I know, no uh, hard feelings when I ask you this, but I know a lot of goalies. I've played with a lot of goalies, and you guys are a different breed. 
You're a little different, a little out there. What superstitions did Sean Burke have pre, post, during game? Well, I, yeah, I'm not going to hang up on you, but, <laughs> but I will take a little. I, I will take a little bit of offense to that because, in in all in all fairness, and I and I'm thinking back over my career uh, and all the guys I happened to play with, and, and I'm talking about all the goalies that I happened to play with. There was very few guys that I felt were were really strange or were really out there, and I and I really wouldn't even be able to tell you off the top of my head uh, who the strangest was. I mean, everybody has their quirks; everybody's a little different. But the strangest guys I can remember playing with were usually forwards or defensemen <laughs> and not goaltenders. So, um, well, we're know, forwards. I don't, I don't know if. Well, again, I, I I can think of lots of characters, guys that. Um, we're, you know, we're going right back to junior and, and, and guys I played with in junior hockey, um, you know, that had, that had sort of really crazy routines and were, were just, you know, guys that were bizarre when they got to the rink and they, they, they turned on a different personality. Whereas most of the goalies I ever played with were, were pretty well the same guy when they got to the rink as they were away from the rink. And, uh, and and not that not that abnormal as uh, the like a lot of people like to think of them. It's okay. Well, I guess I got to throw my buddy Graham Lawton under the bus because I've played hockey with him beer league for I don't know eighteen twenty years, and I swear to God, he still has not changed his socks that he wears in his skates. Never changed them, never washed them. So that's why I had that question. But well, I wasn't that superstitious. I mean, again, I, I think there's there's a degree of uh, superstition and routine. It can cross the line sometimes, and you can and you can blur those lines. But I mean, really, for me, it was all about routine. It was it was more about getting to the rink and then having uh, you know this this sort of um, routine that I would go through. But but it was always intended uh, to make you uh, more ready when the puck dropped. And th- those sort of things can get a little carried away at times. But I didn't want to have a lot of superstitions because. To me, there's just too much room for something to go wrong, and yeah. all of a sudden, if if, you, if it didn't happen for you, now your mind starts playing tricks on you. What are, what what's going to happen in the game? So I was more about routine. I just I like to get to the rink at a certain time. I like to have enough time to do the things I wanted to do before the game, and I would do them in the same order, which was taping my sticks and then going and stretching, and then I'd play a little bit of catch or throw the ball around a little bit just to get loose and. And then I'd like to get dressed around the same time, but to me those weren't really superstitions. Those those were more just a way of having your mind sort of kick into game mode, and and when the puck was ready to drop, you, you felt like you were prepared. Well, I guess I mean just to make sure you stay on the floor a little longer, we will give you a shout out that you had 28 assists in your whole hockey career as a goaltender, which is I think more points than Troy had his whole career, and 310 <laughs> pims. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, most people want to talk about the Pims instead of the assists. Oh, I, oh I, we will like, talk about I both like later. To think of as, uh, <laughs> I like to think of myself as more of an offensive goaltender than a fighter. <laughs> so, so, Sean, I mean, let's move on now to after hockey. After you play, uh, your playing career ends in 06, uh, did you take a couple years off um, or did you jump right into scouting? Because I knew you were the goalie coach from 09 to 14. How was that change? Well, no, I didn't take any time off, really. I, you know, I think the change is um, is never something that anybody's prepared for. I, I was done. I maybe could have squeezed another year out of my body, but it would have been 
it, it would have been something that had to be under the you know ideal circumstances, and that wasn't going to happen. So I, I was I was physically done. I was mentally done, and I think that made it easier because uh, you know you, you didn't have that period where you were like, well, what if I got ready for training camp? Could I play again? So when I when I left when I left LA after my last game and and, and drove back to Arizona. I knew that I I was I was done and uh, and so I wanted to get working right away. I didn't want to be out of the game for long. I I, I had a uh, sort of a, a plan, if you want to call it, for getting back in and learning some other things. So I went right back in and started working in development with the Coyotes and uh, you know ended up coaching and, and being assistant to the GM and and all those other things. But uh, it, it really wasn't that complicated. I. I, I hung the gear up, and uh, basically a few months later, I, I put on a suit, and I started going to the, uh, going to the office. And, and This segment of Off the Huzzle is brought to you by Brownies Golf Shop at the Royal Regina, Southern Saskatchewan's premier custom club fitters. Using FlightScope and GC Quad technology, Brownies Golf Shop will give you the high-performance club fitting you need for that new driver or set of irons. Offering a full line of clubs featuring Titleist, Ping, Callaway, TaylorMade, Cobra, and Srixen at the best prices. Brownies Golf Shop, high-performance club fitting to help you enjoy the game. Contact Dean at RoyalRegina.com to book your fitting or yardage gapping appointment. So now, I mean, I hope I, I don't go three for three here on correcting me wrong today. But um, 2018, you were named the GM of the Team Canada in the Olympics. Yes or no? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, good. Absolutely. Okay, now I'll finish yeah. my question now. Good, I'm right. So, <laughs> of all the previous Olympics, they've had teams like the Crosbys, you know, all, like, I can't even, Dowdy, Adinla, all, like, the best players in the world. You have, I think, one of the toughest jobs in the Olympics to pick from non-NHL players. How hard was that adjustment for yourself, and how much work did you put in on you know away from the rink and watching over in Europe, watching the yeah. Like, let's just talk about that. Well, it was a lot of work. For, I mean, first of all, it was a great honor to get that opportunity because I had obviously played in the Olympics twice for Canada and come full circle and get to be the general manager. Um, you know, I was I was very uh, honored by it, and I took it uh, as you can imagine, extremely serious. Uh, you know, and and the work was extensive but of course you're not doing it yourself either you have people that for sure are working with you we had a, we had a staff that um spent a lot of time as you said watching video i i spent probably 25 26 days a month on the road which oh my God. is hard for people to imagine because we all travel in this business but i was in i was in places that i never even knew <laughs> at airports or uh, at home for that matter and you know, <laughs> in Russia and I was in Siberia and I was all over the place in Europe, but I just felt in order to find uh, the right team, I had to give everybody that was available a fair chance. And so you have to see them play. And uh, we, we did that. We saw lots of players. We played in tournaments. We, um, we did camps, we evaluated. And ultimately at the end of the day, the, the most, um, the most, I guess, satisfaction was how proud I was of that team for how well they played at the Olympics. I, I know people are going to remember that Germany beat us, um, but what a lot of people aren't going to remember is, is that team played 
the best hockey uh, that they, they played other than a period and a half in one game. We beat the Finnish team. We beat the Czech team. Uh, we pounded the Swiss team. And uh, other than a bad period and a half, uh, that, that team played extremely well. And those guys had a lot to be proud of. But um, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of satisfaction at the end of the day as well. So this is a two-parter, I mean, on the same topic here. How much pressure and how much, you know, you just talked about all the scouting you've done for that for that team, but how much decision-making goes into, you know, picking a player for that team without having NHL guys? And the second part of that question is, how special of a player is, is Wojtek Wolski? Yeah. yeah, I mean, those guys, you know, and I, a lot of them I had, I had known from other things, either playing in the NHL, uh, guys who had come through, you know, I, I had Wojtek in Arizona. Um, he was right. there. He came, he came from Colorado. So I knew, I knew him from, from having him there for a little while. It, it was a process that was really, really uh, never going to be an exact science. There's no way to know because you're not seeing players playing in the same league. There's guys playing in different leagues. There's guys at different stages of their career a lot of work that went into trying to evaluate. I think at the end of the day, uh, as I said, I thought we did a great job of putting a, a extremely good team together that played well. But it's a difficult process because there's guys that you have to cut from that team and they're not necessarily any different a player than a guy you take on the team. But there's something about the whatever it happens to be that you're, you feel your team needs that you got to make those decisions. And uh, that was the most difficult part is, was that there was guys that deserved to be there that we couldn't take. And I wanted, because I knew how important it was for these players, I wanted everybody to be able to play in the Olympics and experience, but you just can't do that. There's just, there's just no way to do that. Yeah. Troy, you going? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was listening to the story. Uh, so what's, what's Sean Burke doing these days? You're not coaching, you're not playing. Um, there was some buzz last week from the Yotes about a possible job. Just curious if you're going to throw your name in for it. Uh, Drew and I and all of our off the hustle listeners think you'd be one hell of a candidate for the job. And alumni. Well, I appreciate that, guys. I mean, I, you know, again, I've been very busy um, right up until until COVID. I, I, I work with Montreal. I've um, I've spent a lot of time in the last three or four years scouting for them, but also combining a lot of Hockey Canada stuff, which has been a great education for me. It's it's given me an opportunity to uh, have a couple GM interviews in the NHL and get sort of in that conversation, for, for lack of a better term. But um, you know, I've always looked at it fairly simple, to be honest. It, it's, you know, it's a game that uh, I've loved since I was a kid. I love being in it and being a part of it. So at the end of the day, I feel very fortunate that I've, I've made a living not only playing, but after playing. And, uh, you know, whatever's out there that, that's the right fit, I, I think some of that stuff works itself out. You, you go to the rink every day or the office or whatever it is, and you, you try to do the best job you can. You try to continue to learn, uh, treat people with respect, and, and, and appreciate, uh, as I said, that you're, you're doing something you enjoy. And then... I think a lot of the other stuff happens to be out of your control. So um, I really I really don't try to overcomplicate it. And, um, again, I think more than anything, I've had 
a lot of great opportunities and worked with a lot of great people and all those things uh all those things help you uh help you get to where you are so sean i'm curious as a young scout like myself you know i mean i'm just curious what is your job description with montreal now how does a guy you know i mean that didn't play but you know has connections works his tail off i would say toot my own horn you know i watch 300 games a year how do i get to that next step well, you have to, first you have to remember, and, and I, this is not me saying this, that somebody told me this, which made a lot of sense, was that if you're not playing, you're scouting. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're the general manager or you're, you're I guess the coach may be the only other guy that's more involved than just watching, but the rest of us are all watching, and so we're all scouting. We're all, we're all out there, um, you know, whether you're sitting on your couch or whether you're in, a, in an arena, we all are looking and picking up things during the game, and and that's really what scouting is. Uh, it's it's not an exact science. I mean, uh, there's obviously players and lots of them who everybody could describe. Everybody could tell you the strengths of a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid and, and and the top players. But there's also a lot of players out there that bring other things to the table. And if if you're a, if you're a keen hockey guy or somebody that watches a lot of hockey, you never you didn't have to play at the NHL level. You'll you'll pick certain things out. Um, but I think the most important thing about scouting is, is to be honest. You have to, you have to evaluate and then you have to be able to have the confidence to, to, to say and articulate what it is you see. And you're not going to be right all the time. Uh, you may not be right a lot of the time, but there are players that, uh, people have overlooked and lots of them. And yet somebody else saw something in them. They turned out to be a great player. So it's it's uh, it's a job that uh, is, is never going to be perfect, but if you enjoy the game that much and you love watching it that much and you, and, and you know the game, um, then you got to trust yourself and just keep working at it. For sure. Alrighty, off to some golf talk now with Sean Burke here. Talking off the record, you mentioned you love the game of golf and will play it whenever you can. So I want to know quickly, and so does Troy, and as I mentioned off the record, Reverend Dan is not here today, but... When did you get into the game of golf? And, yeah, let's just chat about your golf game. Well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a kid that, that played golf uh, growing up because I was, in, I was in Toronto. I was in a big city. I grew up right downtown. So golf wasn't a sport that um, anybody in my family played. My dad wasn't a golfer. And it really was probably not until I got playing junior hockey you know, 16, 17, that I played golf maybe a little bit for the first time. And then obviously I got the bug and, and started playing a lot. And as I, as I, you know, progressed into professional hockey and, and had the summers and some time off and that, I, re- I really started to enjoy the game. But I, I came to golf, uh, I guess, fairly late compared to, um, you know, most people who play the game. So, Sean, like, how, how often are you playing? I, I guess, okay, COVID's kind of playing uh... – havoc with everybody these days so let's pretend we're not in covid like on a normal year how often are you playing um and what you know what's what's your handicap living down in phoenix you dog <laughs> yeah well you would think and that's that's the funny thing i i go in spurts i i you know i played the most golf i've played in a long time when when uh, covid first hit because in arizona the one thing that stayed open was golf courses and so as you can imagine, we've all been through it now. There's, uh, you know, a lot of time you're around the house. If you can get outside and go do something that's safe, 
you're going to do it. And that, that was, that was really, uh, available to me. So I played almost every day, probably for the first month or two of COVID. And then when I left Arizona, uh, I haven't played, uh, anywhere near that much, but I, I go in spurts. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seven, I'm a bad seven handicap, uh, because I'm easy, I'm easy money, uh, when I have to play to a seven. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't end up, I don't end up collecting very much from anybody I play with, but I, I really enjoy the game. I, I've been that type of golfer that has grinded it out at times. I was a four handicap at one time and spent time practicing and grinding it out. And I, I just came to the point in my life where I just love the game because I can play it with my kids. I can play it with anybody and enjoy it. So I'm, uh, I'm not a guy that takes it over serious, uh, over seriously. And I, and I enjoy the game. And the other thing that's been great about golf for me is I've got to play with some incredible people. I mean, I played with Jack Nicklaus. I got to play golf with Jack Nicklaus. <laughs> I, I played golf. Yeah. I played golf with some really interesting people and, um, you know, obviously lots of hockey guys. I played, I played this year with Mario Lemieux when he was coming through oh Arizona God. to watch, uh, to watch his son play, um, at ASU. I played with, with Mario and his wife and, you know, I played with Alice Cooper and I played with, um, you know, not, not to name drop. It's just that <laughs> golf is one of golf is one of those games where, uh, you know, it brings people together. And, uh, and as long as you're playing with people, who enjoy the game like you do, you really don't care how well they play or, or if they're better than you because uh, that's that's what the handicap system's for. But uh, I just I enjoy the game and it's it's uh, and, and I I love playing with my family. So that that for me is uh, I'll never turn down a golf game with uh, with my kids or my wife or anybody in my family because I, I I enjoy being out there. So. With the name dropping, as Lloyd Christmas says in uh, Dumb and Dumber, you're saying there's a chance that you can get Mary Lemieux on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not working for you guys. I'm I'm doing the show, right? Like so, you guys got to get the guests. On, you guys got to get the guests on the show. I I come on and do this. I talk, and then you go get somebody else who comes on and talks after. Sure, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep your DMs open after we're off air. <laughs> Get that producer of yours who comes in one day a week or whatever you were telling me. He's only there on Sundays. Get him to spend the other six days a week phoning people. <laughs> awesome. He just ripped Dan a new one. Reverend Dan, not going to be happy. Okay, are you a lefty or righty in golf? I'm a lefty. Oh, I yeah, knew it. I, six uh, foot four, man rocket just ripping down the fairway, left hand, swinging hooks. <sighs> yeah, well... I, I probably, I mean, my my closest friends that I play with call me the Big Easy, which is not, a, is not an original nickname. Um, but it's not because I hit the ball like Ernie Els as far and, and hit it with the easy swing. I do have an easy swing, and I I, uh, I, I don't go go ripping at it. But I just I don't uh, I'm not what you'd call the most aggressive golfer. For a guy that's six four, I I play a little bit more of a finesse game and. Um, Oh. You know, I'm not hitting it uh, 180 down the fairway or anything, but I'm not hitting it 350 either. I'm, I'm just a guy that, uh, you know, has a decent game, and if I'm having a good day putting, I can score fairly well. So you're saying you have a good set of mitts then? Not bad. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I, I, if I was critiquing my golf game and, and I was watching myself play, I'd uh, I'd have a tough time betting on me because I'm 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 not I'm not a guy that's very consistent. I can go out 
I actually had the first round in my life this year where I shot even par. I shot 72. And um, I thought, boy, what a great day that is when you go out and you shoot 72 and you hit the fairway and you make putts. And the next day I went out and shot 82. And, uh, and I don't think I've come close to 72 since then. So uh, inconsistency. I'm, plag- I'm plagued with it when it comes to golf. Well, I know how you feel, Sean. I know it was two summers ago. Now, real quick. So Drew's 15 years younger than me, right? But hell of a lot better golfer than me. But two years ago, we were, <laughs> we were out playing and I shot a 73 and I was just like, oh my God. So I text Drew. I said, I shot a 73. And he shoots back a text of a picture of his scorecard, 68. I was like, you bastard. You just couldn't let me have this one day, hey? You just couldn't <laughs> let me have it. <laughs> Never in a million years. Well, that's... That's some good golf there. So yeah, I I, I go in with you guys as a seven, and I uh, I'll end up losing my shirt to you. I know that. Not me, it won't. Nope. Well, tr- Troy's uh, what do we say? Fifteen? I don't know. I shot eighty six the other day. Yeah, you're probably about fifteen. Yeah. So you you dummy uh, you dummy <laughs> Troy Sean. <laughs> so well, here's the thing. Uh, the problem the problem with golfers who say that, and we we had a great trip to Scotland with some of my buddies a few years ago, and I. I always laugh when a guy says, well, I don't really know my handicap. You know, I'm about this. You know right away you're going to be paying that guy when the round's over. So yep. I, I've got to the point now where if a guy doesn't know his handicap, then I say, okay, if, if, if you're not going to tell me and you don't really know, we're going to have to play nine holes before we decide how many strokes you're going to have because I've never beat a guy yet who told me he didn't know his handicap. In, in God's honest truth, I don't know my handicap, honest to God. And, and you would dummy Troy. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm a mid-80s to low-90s is my golf game, but whatever. This isn't about me. And then a 73. <laughs> so you've answered the question there. You've answered that question there that we haven't even got to. <laughs> so I'm going to ask him again. What, uh, what are some of the most memorable courses that you've got to play? Well, St. Andrews. I, I did oh. a, a Scottish uh, golf trip a few years back after the World Championships with, um, with some of the Hockey Canada management. We were already over in Europe, and... It was the perfect uh, time to just stay over there, and, and we got to play it. And the most incredible thing was the, the trip for us uh, was was kind of previewed as, you know, you're going to enjoy it, but the weather will be bad, and, uh, you know, it's Scotland. So be prepared. Take your rain gear. We had four consecutive days of sunshine and the best weather that people said they've ever seen in Scotland. And I, I so for, my, for me, my recollection of scott uh, of scotland is it has the best weather i've ever seen <laughs> and i'd be the only guy in the whole world that probably would say that other than the three guys that were with me but that that was a trip of a lifetime to to go over and play st andrews king's barns and and uh some of those other courses just just with the tradition of what golf means over there and then to uh to be able to witness it yourself was was really special one probably the only guy too that spent eleven hundred dollars on rain gear that didn't you didn't use for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take rain gear. See, I was an I'm an optimist, so I um, I figured you know what if I'm gonna experience this weather they're talking about I'm gonna I'm gonna do it all out. And uh, I didn't even take rain gear. I think I took a jacket, but um, no umbrella, no uh, no rain pants, and I, I was laughing because I was the only one that I had the lightest bag of anybody there. <laughs> so. You mentioned playing golf with guys at Marilyn Mew and some big celebs. What is some of the most cash you've played for? And clearly you mentioned you've got stroked on the golf course multiple times. Have you ever won? And and what's the amount? No, I, I'm not a big gambler. I 
I, I, I love to play for something. And, and we used to have a group in Hartford. I, I, I had a good conversation the other day with Nelson Emerson, an old teammate of mine had called me, and he works for L.A. And we were just laughing about how much golf we had played back in the Hartford days. And then when the team moved to Carolina, they, they gave us a membership at the Raleigh Country Club in Carolina. And so we played a lot of days after practice. We'd go and play golf, and we had – a good group. Jeff Sanderson would play a lot. Uh, Jeff O'Neill would play a lot with us. And that was really our, our foursome most of the time. But I've never been a guy that liked to gamble a lot on the golf course because, for one thing, it's it's hard to take money from your buddies, too. I you yeah. know, I like to play for, if, if, if $100 exchanged hands, that would be big, big bucks in, in, my, uh, in my world. But uh, usually... Uh, you know, it's it's twenty or twenty five bucks. It's going one way or the other, and then if you play with the same guys, it, it, it all ends up evening out over time. Hmm. <laughs> I like to win money, so. <laughs> but I'm also a, I'm also a baby when I lose. You should have seen Sean when you said it's not right to take money off his buddies. Drew put the mic away from his face, and he was shaking his head no as hard as he could. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm a good yeah, guy. I promise, I'm a good guy. I, uh, you know, I, I just, for me, I love being out there and I love the, the little bit of the action that, you know, forces you to bear down on your putts and Absolutely. have to make a clutch shot. Yeah. A clutch shot every once in a while. Um, so that, that to me is the, the purpose of the gambling is to, is to put a little bit more pressure on yourself to play well. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to sit and have a couple beers with my buddies and not have some guy, you know, sour or me to be sour that I just lost, you know, more money than I want to tell my wife and, and all that <laughs> stuff. So, um, you know, I, 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 I can play without gambling, but uh, usually there's something on the game, that's for sure. No, you're 100% right. I mean, I don't play for a ton, and I'm talking like I'm money bags over here, and I'm not. I mean, I play for, you know, let's just say you play for 100 bucks max. I mean, you, you could lose 100, and you should only pay 25. So I like to just keep it competitive. And I mean, I, the way I look at it, especially this year, there's no tournaments. So that's my entry fee for the day. And if you win, you win. If yeah, you don't, I, I mean, and I've been on a scouting. Uh, I've been on a scouting salary for the last few years, so you know I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be throwing my uh, my big bucks <laughs> around right now. It's just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, okay, so I have two quick ones here. Uh, biggest inspiration in your life? It would be my dad. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, that probably question was would, would have been answered differently when I was younger. I don't think I appreciated the amount of uh, sacrifice and work uh, that went into helping me become a hockey player. It, it took me uh, years to really look back and realize, you know, especially once I became a father and I've had my kids and gone through sports and that just what a commitment it is. And, you know, in those days I didn't come from a, a wealthy family and there was obviously sacrifices made. So, I always knew uh, that my dad was pretty smart, that, that he was uh, giving me good advice, but I didn't always listen to it. And, uh, you know, now when I look back, I realize that um, I probably say the same things to my kids, you know, the old, uh, you'll see when you get older and you'll understand one day and all that stuff. But, but a lot of that is really true. You, you, you know, your parents are the, are the people who are going to be in your court more than anybody else. Um, and, uh, and I wish at times I would have listened more, but at least I, at least I got smart enough to recognize it before, uh, before it was too late. So to follow on that message, we asked, you know, 
every one of our guests this question. Um, one piece of advice you could give a young listener on how to get to the pro ranks, even you know, even for myself, like I said off the top there, who's wanting to make it to the NHL as a scout or you know a golfer or a professional athlete. Like, what do, what do you have to do? We've heard different answers from everyone. Uh, we'd love to hear your take on this, Sean. Well, you know, again, I, I think it's probably a hard question to answer with one, you know, just one view. Um, but for me, you know, I, I think, first of all, you, you, you know, you have to control what you can control. There's there's not much more at the end of the day a person can do if if you work hard, you give the best effort you can, you, you know, you commit yourself to, to what it is you're trying to do. And, uh, and really... Um, ultimately you're, you're either going to be good enough or you're not at some point. And that, that's, that's the second part is that, you know, that not everybody is going to reach that goal, but I don't think there's too many people that do that get there without giving it a hundred percent, without dedicating themselves. And when I say control, what you can control. There are things that sometimes are just going to happen. You're, you're going to get unlucky. You're going to maybe have a culture a boss that doesn't like you as much and but but you can't make excuses you know that those nobody wants to hear that and and it doesn't really help so um again i think that answer is different now as i've got older but i wish i had taken my own advice um when i was a little bit younger at times but i definitely know now as, as i look back that um if you don't do it if you don't at least do that you don't give yourself a chance at all so that that's sort of the advice I would give to uh, to anybody who's young out there. That's a great answer. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay, off to our segment. Questions from the gallery sponsored by Player Golf. Be sure to use the promo code off the hosel twenty for twenty percent off of your orders. That's off the hosel twenty for twenty percent off of your orders. Be a player. Alrighty. Number one, how many goalie fights have you been in? Well, it depends if you want to go back to uh all the way back to junior hockey or um, or just in the NHL. I wouldn't be able to tell you the number, but I've been in a few. And, you know, again, there's there's always preseason uh, games as well and things like that that don't show up in, in the statistics. So <laughs> I, I would say over the course of my uh, life in hockey, uh, probably a good uh, 20 of them, I guess, which, you know, is nothing compared to uh, – the, the tough guys out there are the real fighters, but uh, in, in goalie standards, um, you know, I think it's probably a, a number that's up there with just about anybody. It's 20 more than Drew was ever in. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say 20 good ones either, and I didn't say 20 that I won. But I at least know, tried I, to fight one time. I never liked. I never Sorry, enjoyed <laughs> fighting. I never. It, it was never. Fighting was never something to me that was done. Um, you know, as a show, it was, it was, it was only, it was only done in the heat of the moment or in certain cases, if, if something had broke out and you were trying to even out for your team or, or, you know, be, be a guy that was sticking up for something out there. That was, that was the only reason I ever felt uh, necessary to fight. And I, I, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. I mean, I had fights as a kid. I, I, I wasn't a guy that was shy or afraid to, get in a scrap but i never liked it and i i still don't I, i'm one of those guys that when i watch a fight i worry i worry that somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to hit their head on the ice um but uh it was part of the game especially more back then than it is now and uh and so yeah i found myself in a few of them over the years 
So, off the top, we talked about it. You had a career of uh, career high of 28 assists in the total of, of your whole career. No goals recorded, ever close, or have you ever gone for one in the NHL? Yeah, I went for a couple, and I was never really close, but I had a, I had a little bit of an issue usually at the end of games um, where I was such a sweater, and my hands and my gloves oh. were always so wet. Me that, too. And oh. I was never that confident, yeah, to take the puck in a tight game. Now, if I'd have been up, and I, and I think I was a few times, where maybe we were up by two goals and the net was empty and I made an attempt, and I, and I handled the puck fairly well and I could shoot it fairly well, but I just never felt that confident near the end of games because, again, I, I, was, I was a guy that sweated profusely, and I would go through um, probably 18 to 20 sets of goalie gloves a year. And... Thank goodness I wasn't paying for my equipment because that's how much my equipment would break down that I'd, I'd need to change gloves that often. And so that'll tell you the kind of sweater I was. And and, uh, and because of that, I just, I, my, my, my stick felt like, you know, it was like uh, it was it was slipping in my hands and it was sliding around and it just never gave me a, a great feeling to shoot it down the ice. Well, to, to talk about what you just mentioned there, I played on a junior team here in Regina on a very, very low budget, I made them buy me three pairs of mitts in my 20-year-old year because my hands were so sweaty. And then to ask you, how often do you wear gray shirts? Because <laughs> I never do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was one of the things that I had to be very aware of. And, and we're laughing about it because it is funny to a degree. But, you know, there were times I had to get IVs, especially... In the oh, wow. early days when we would play in the playoffs in a hot building and the amount of sweat and water that I would lose during a game in order to be able to recover for the next night or, uh, you know, a back-to-back game, or there, were, there was times that I would have to, uh, you know, have an IV after the game. And, Holy shit. Um, it was just something that, uh, you know, we're all built differently. But, but for goaltenders, it's not that uncommon for guys to lose 8 to 10 pounds in a game and then have to, have to quickly oh replenish that somehow when the game's over. Wow. So, Sean, this comes, it's a two-part question. It comes from Tom. He's on our Facebook page. And Tom wants to know your best memory of playing the NHL, and he also wants to know what your most memorable hockey moment was. Well, that's, yeah, that's a, a, a good question, but it's always a tough one because for for a guy that, was lucky to play as long as I did. I also had a lot, a long international career, and and I'm I'm glad that I don't have, in some ways, one moment. I wish I could say it was, you know, Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals when we, you know, won in overtime and won the cup. Um, but on the other hand, I, I have so many good memories, and just I think, first of all, the guys you play with, you know, the things you go through, and you know, you're accomplishing things together. That's always the best part of playing a team sport, and especially at the NHL level where they're actually paying you to do that. And you get to show up every day and play hockey with your buddies. It's, uh, it, it's a great way to make a living. Um, but some of the things that I've been able to do, like playing in Olympics, playing in a gold medal game, you know, playing in, in World Junior, playing in Stanley Cup playoffs, there's just so many really good, uh, moments that uh, I, I'd never be able to mention one, and that's a good thing. Um, but on the other hand, like I said, I, I wouldn't mind being able to say, "Oh yeah, that, that that Stanley Cup we won." 
So that's, uh, I guess, when you leave a long career, that that's the one thing you look back on and wish you'd had an experience of doing. Right. So this is a question from everyone and then a question from me. Pre-game meal before you played and road trip snacks on scouting trips. And I know you probably don't drive everywhere that I do across Saskatchewan. <laughs> so just say that again. Say the first part. I missed that. Sorry. That. Pre-game meal before uh, late when you played and road trip yeah. snacks on scouting trips. Well, pre-game meal was, was sort of the same my whole career. And it, it started to change a little bit. Um, it was always it was always pasta of some sort, um, or pasta depending on how you, what part of the country. <laughs> in. But it, it it was it was always for me it was pasta chicken. Uh, if I was at home, you know, if you're at home and you and you got to get your own meal, or you go you go to a local place uh, to eat, you don't have the variety you do when you're on the road and the team's providing a a buffet with steak, chicken, fish, and all the options, but. It was it was always it was always a, a pasta and a, and a protein like chicken, and then some vegetables. And I like to sneak a little ice cream in there too. Um, <laughs> and then for for snacks, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a fairly conscious eater. Uh, even till this day, I, I I like to think anyway that I take fairly good care of myself. But I've developed, um, you know, I, I always had a weakness for chocolate, so. Any kind of chocolate bars or uh, or you know chocolate covered almonds or anything like that, I'm just a sucker for. So, well, I'm now I'm curious now. Pre-game meal when you play, when you were starting, and would it change if you were the backup? No, it wouldn't. It, the only thing that would change um, was that when I was playing, I tried to eat a little bit earlier because. I needed to have I needed to have a snack before the game. It wasn't going to hold me over. I, I don't know if most people who uh, who don't play the game would understand it. You know, guys will eat their pregame meal a lot of times at about twelve o'clock or twelve thirty, and you're playing a game at seven o'clock at night. So you know, between the time you you eat your pregame meal and you eat again after the game, uh, that's a lot of time. So you need to have a snack, whether it's a, a sandwich, peanut butter sandwich, or something before the game. So when I was playing, uh, you know, I'd eat a little earlier, and then I'd like to have a good snack. And when I wasn't playing, I tried to eat later because and I more had to ice cream. sit on the bench. Yeah, and I and I tried to eat a little bit more because I had to sit on the bench that night. And most times, backing up, I was starving um, <laughs> by the second period. I couldn't wait for the game to get over. So it, it changed a little bit, but uh, the, the the one thing that definitely changed was. Uh, was that you know, I tried to have a few snacks hanging around in the dressing room or power bars or something for sure when I wasn't playing. So, Sean, uh, I don't know. Earlier episodes, we had a, a guy by the name of Grant Fear on the show. I'm sure you know him or heard of him. I, I, I love Fearsy. Fearsy's one of the, uh, you know, not, not to cut you off there, but while you mention him, Fearsy's one of the guys, when I look back on my career, that I was very fortunate to get to play with Fearsy when I was a young player, I played in the world championships with him in 1989, I believe it was, yep. in Sweden. And, um, and you know, the only way that happened was I think that was the year that L.A. put Edmonton out. Wayne Gretzky had been traded, and Edmonton got knocked out of the playoffs. So, you know, you were never going to get those guys at a world championship in those days. They, they were, their teams were so good. But anyway, they got knocked out, and Fierzy came over and played, and we were partners at the world championship. 
and he was he was great great to me as a young player i i was pretty intense in those days and i i would wind myself up before games and he was he was a guy that took me aside and just kind of explained that i may want to you know revisit how i approach games if i was going to last any length of time in the nhl and i and i really took uh, took his advice and so um i always i always appreciated uh Grant and uh, played against him many times, but he was he was one of the, the all-time greats. So Grant Fuhr, club pro at Desert Dunes in Palm Springs. I actually had a chance to meet him there a couple of years ago. Had him on the show. I'm going to ask you a question. True or false? Goalies are better golfers than the players are. True or false? Um, and the only reason I say that is I, I played with Fuhr. I've played a number of golf rounds with Grant Fuhr over the years. Uh, we worked when I first joined the Coyotes, Grant Fuhr was the goalie coach there. When I, I retired and joined the organization in development, so I I would see Fierzy quite a bit, and uh, we played some golf together. He's a heck of a golfer, but I've also played with uh, a number of other guys that aren't goaltenders. That I would say, you know, Ray Whitney's a heck of a golfer. Obviously, Marilyn Hughes a heck of a golfer, and um, and Fierzy by far for me, anyways, the best goalie golfer that I've ever played with. But I've definitely played with a lot of other guys that uh, that are pretty darn good players. So, <laughs> Reverend Dan, producer Dan, not here, but he has multiple questions for you today. <laughs> oh, he's going to just grill us later when he, when he listens to this podcast. Anyways, he has about three questions here for you, but we'll go off the first one here. Favorite coach you had? First, I guess real favorite for me was Dave King. Nice. North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Yeah, Dave came into my uh, life and hockey career at the at the right time when I joined the national team as a young player. And I still feel he had a lot to do with my development and my my ability to, to develop into an NHL player. So you always remember those guys that especially had that impact on you as a young person. And then I had a lot of good coaches in the NHL. Guys that, you know, Jim Schoenfeld, uh uh, Bobby Francis. Um, I played for everybody. It seems I played for John Tortorella and Mike Keenan and Ken Hitchcock. And it wasn't always, you know, smooth sailing. But again, looking back, uh, I gained something out of the experience of playing for every one of those guys. And um, and that's that's really what makes it a very colorful career when you get a chance to uh, to play for guys that are so much different. So quickly to follow up that question, I know you play with Naslin. Did you play for Crawford? I did. Um, Mark Crawford, not in L.A. In L.A., um, I believe Crow was the assistant coach the year I was there. Or sorry, yeah. Uh, no, here's where the memory goes foggy. He was my <laughs> last head coach. He was the head coach in L.A. my last year. Oh, really? Uh, Mark Crawford. So How was I, he? I'm trying to remember when I – you know, to me, he was great. Um I was obviously a veteran player. I was 40 years old. I was hanging on. I went to L.A. halfway through the season. They had really struggled with their goaltending injuries and things like that. So, you know, he treated me like an, a, a professional, and, and that's all I ever wanted. I just wanted a coach who uh, was going to respect me, and, and if I played well, I was going to be rewarded by playing more. So my memories of, uh, of Mark Crawford as a coach are, are very positive, and uh and, and he was very respectful to me as a player. So you can either not answer this or answer it. If you were the coach of Team Canada at the time, 
are you putting Gretzky in the shootout? I probably should not answer that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> no, no, but but again, I, I I think just just in joking, of, of course I can say I'm putting him in. Um, you know, and I think everybody would say that. But but again, at the end of the day, um, you know, coaches say they 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 make decisions on hunches. They make decisions, and when they work out, they're brilliant. When they don't work out, obviously, you know, they're, they're going to take heat for them. Uh, but I would probably say that I'm I, I probably don't have the balls as a head coach to not put Wayne Gretzky in, in a shootout. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry for putting you in the spot there, but good answer though. Um, okay, so producer Dan also asked, because he has one, can you bring back the mullet? Uh, no, not even close <laughs> anymore. I don't have I don't have enough hair. Um, I, I've got a be- I've got a beard right now to, to take the distraction away from the lack of hair that I have on my head. Uh, so uh, the the mullet days are over. I I actually rocked it for a while, and uh, you did. Looking at some of the old hockey cards, it's pretty obvious that I thought I was pretty cool in those days. But <laughs> but uh, time time has uh, time has made me wise to the to the understanding that, that was not necessarily the case. We well, should update that Twitter photo then and throw the beard picture up then. <laughs> yeah, I could probably, uh, but but the beard's quite gray right now, and I don't know that I need anybody to see that either. <laughs> All right, Sean. Last question from me. The COVID Stanley Cup tournament starts this Saturday. Who's in the final? Final two teams, and who's winning the whole thing? I bet you can guess who Sean picks. Montreal. Well, of course, I'm, I, and I like I like the fact that um, you know everything is sort of uh, up in the air right now. There is no there is no real expert opinion on this because this is not anything anybody's ever seen before. So everybody has a chance, and. Uh, and when you're healthy, as every team is, the, the playing field is more level. And I, and I think that was really a, a big part of, of this year anyway, up until this, was, was part of our struggles. We're not, we're not a team that can miss top six forwards the way we did and, and miss them for as many games. So I, I do. I like our team. I like uh, the chemistry. I like our, our coaching staff. And, um, you know, again, if, if uh, things come together, you know, I'm not going to predict the Stanley Cup for anybody. I don't think I don't think that's something anybody can do right now. But I, I like I like the way our team can play when we're healthy. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, who's coming out of the West then? Yeah, that that for me is a tough one uh, again because some of the teams that underachieved this year really surprised me. I mean, obviously San Jose. The the West was so wild this year. It was yeah. It was going into the season, the teams that were predicted to play well, I think, you know, didn't. Some of the teams, you know, again, Colorado is an interesting team. Um, whether they're at that stage yet, uh, that, that they're ready to win, but they, they definitely have a lot of pieces there. And you start looking at teams like that with the amount of skill they have, if their top line's all healthy. Um, so, you know, I, I could name half a dozen teams but maybe now you got to name 12 teams because uh, the, the playing field, as I said, has been evened out. There's so many other factors involved right now that uh, I, I said I'm not a, I'm not a gambler, and uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure glad <laughs> that I wouldn't want to have to predict or be betting on this right now because uh, I'd have no way of knowing. Yeah, we had uh, Barry Melrose on a couple of weeks ago, and he actually he picked Boston to win over 
Colorado. He's, he said Colorado was definitely coming out of the West and Boston. I myself am rooting for my Oilers, so hopefully they can get there. But I guess we'll see. Well, you know, the, the thing I, I thought about this a couple weeks ago when hockey was getting close again, and my, my feeling on this type of, um, we'll call it a tournament, is, you know, my, my mind goes to those teams that have veteran guys who've been through it because they're, they're sort of looking at this now and saying, okay, our teams maybe, if you look at Boston, we're getting, we're getting older. How many chances do we have left? And they got so many good leaders on a team like that and professionals and, and guys that have been through it. And then you got St. Louis on the West who's got that same sort of makeup as a team. So I, I think those are the kind of teams that I feel probably have the best chance. But then, then you start saying, well, yeah, but some of the other teams are younger and maybe now because you're starting – scratch again they come out of the gate quick so it's really hard to predict and um i i don't think that whoever wins it is is going to be a surprise at this point it, it could be a lot of different teams and it's going to have to be well earned because uh, it, i don't care what the format looks like right now and how it's changed to win the stanley cup you're gonna you're not gonna back in so the team's gonna have to earn it so Producer Dan has two more here for you, and I had to rewatch this one today. And um, yeah, I am a hockey geek and a golf geek, but I do remember watching these two incidents. I mean, not live, probably, but on YouTube during the goalie scrap with Steve Shields. What were you saying to him the whole time? <laughs> well, yeah, that was kind of funny. I, I what I was actually saying, and I like Steve Shields. He's a uh, He's a really nice guy, and and uh, you know, and he was a good goalie. He had a he had a good career for himself. But I was I was really just sort of um, trying to lighten the situation. I, I was saying to him, "That's all you have." Like you came off the bench with that, but but I was only doing that because I had just fought Matthew Barnaby before that, and I didn't have a chance really to even get my breath before uh, they changed goalies. And next thing you knew, the puck dropped, and Shields was coming down. So. I really was more or less, you know, not not trying to mock the situation, but I uh, I was hanging on to begin with. I was I was you know not really that interested in fighting again right away, but I knew I had to, and so um, and so my way of lightening it all up was was to just kind of hang on and and kind of give it to him a little bit verbally. So the next question is funny, and I didn't know this. Was this the same game? Because friend of the show. Barnaby runs you. How was that fight, and why did he run you? He wasn't even in the play. Well, that's how it started. Uh, that was that was uh, in response to Hassett getting bumped. I think Donald Brashear bumped him or somebody. And oh. There was only a few minutes left in the game, and I didn't realize. I turned to look at playing the puck, and all of a sudden, Matt, Matthew was on, <laughs> sort of on my back. And he was just doing what anybody in that situation who's playing with Dominic Hasek would have thought to do is protect and get a little bit of retribution for, for their star player. So I never held it against them, but the Shields fight happens directly after that, uh, after that fight breaks up and everybody goes to the penalty box. And as you know, a goalie doesn't get to go to the penalty box. So I was, I was still recovering from fighting with Matthew. <laughs> and of course he's a tough guy and your hands are sweating a lot of credit because because of his size, especially, uh, it's, it's very impressive the kind of career he had and the guys he fought. Um, but it really was it really wasn't much of a fight. And I again, I 
I like to think of myself as more of a grappler. <laughs> the one thing I can keep thinking about, because we had Barnaby on too, and Barney, you're up. Or, but hey, Barney, you go now. Remember his coach? That was Ivan Alenka. His one of his first coaches, Ivan Alenka, was yelling because he didn't speak English very well. And Barney's like, "F no, my skates are untied. I'm going home." <laughs> <laughs> he is a character. He is a character. That's for sure. Well, Sean, um, quickly here, I don't know if you have any last, you know, one good story from your playing days or your golf your, or your, your current golf days. Any good funny stories before we uh, let you go here? Well, I'd have, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry I'm not prepared. I wish you'd have sent me that one ahead and I would, I would have got <laughs> back into the, uh, the memory here. But, no, I, I can't see anything that's, uh, that jumps off, off my mind. I mean, obviously – you guys are golfers, you know, there's always something funny that happens on a golf course or uh, or a shot that you hit or something that, uh, you know, you can look back and laugh at. But for me, uh, I just, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on and good luck with your show. Um, and uh, always, always a pleasure to talk hockey and throw a little golf in there makes it even that much better. Well, Sean, thanks so much for doing this to me. I hope to have you on again sometime. Really appreciate it. Okay, guys, well, get, get working on your other guests here. Um, I uh, I appreciate coming on, but I'm not going to do your work for you. So get that get that produ- get that producer Dan of yours to get on the phone and calling around. Love it. Take care, Sean. Okay, take care. Hi, Troy Koser from Off the Hazel. Are you tired of having the same problems year by year? Dustin Felsky with Precise Accounting and Consulting is here to help. We can help you with your tax solutions, fix cash flow issues reduce costs of business, and give back the time you need to increase your business potential. Whether you're self-employed or running a large business, Dustin with Precise Accounting Consulting will have solutions that will fit your needs to grow your business. Precise Accounting Consulting has been serving Pence and surrounding areas for the past four years. For more information, visit Precise Accounting on Facebook or www.paac.ca. Alrighty, Troy. There it is, the interview with Sean Burke. Wow. Berkey, hell of a good guy, really good stories. I mean, golf game, gets to play with Jack Nicholas, Mario Lemieux, uh, who else? Alice Cooper, played in Scotland. He did St. Andrews. Did Said four best days that they've ever seen there for weather-wise. I'm just a little disappointed he wouldn't get uh, Mario Lemieux on the show for us. So, uh, You know, maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Um, no, yeah, we'll take our chances on that. But, I mean, also, if you're betting this week on golf, let's talk about golf quickly here, Dan Troy. The PGA in Memphis, Tennessee. Is there a song about that, Memphis? Walking in Memphis. Oh, yeah. Walking in Memphis. Anyhow. St. Jude um, Classic. World Golf Championship, St. Jude Classic. I picked Man Rocket with a hat on. Not so Man Rocket with a hat off. Mr. Jordan Spieth. Who on a $20 wager, 1,020 return. And I selected Joaquin Neiman on a $20 wager. 16 tw- Joaquin Neiman. Use that in a sentence, please. I was walking in Memphis playing golf at the <laughs> oh, same time. On my Neiman's, too. Anyways, that's, uh, that's our My Bookie. My Bookie, My Bookie picks of the week. Use My Bookie. Not any other gambling site. Use my buddy because they are with off the hosel now. And if you're going to go off the hosel, you better go with my buddy. Promo codes coming soon. Oh, got to be 18 years old to use the podcast. Uh, 
Anyways, um, golf sass quickly here. We talked about that off the top really with uh, Ty Campbell and much more. But the senior men's, uh, quickly on the updates here, Paul Grimes from Kenosi shoots plus 173. Rick Halbert from Weyburn plus 375. The legend, Colin Tobin from Delisle plus 375. And what a name. Warren Proctor from Saskatoon plus 577. So some great scores there. And on the senior lady side, Sue Skinner from Rosetown, plus 779. Skinner! Skinner. Kathy Hopner from Swift Current, plus 1385. Tammy Bezer from Yorkton, plus 1385. And Maureen Bowerman from Saskatoon, plus 1486. So great shooting, guys. And gals, good luck rest of the week. Um, I don't know if I have much more. I mean, NHL's back. I know it's a golf podcast, but I'm so excited. Oh, yeah, we talked with Barry about it a couple of podcasts ago. Who do you think is going to win the, you know, the 20? Well, I mean, let's just get to talk about the playoff right away. Ah, yeah, screw it. Who do you have to win the cup? Oilers. You know what? And I think they're going to win too. Ah, oh, God, they look good. Honestly, like they look really good. You actually agree with me for once? 100% agree. Wow. And, you know, I think they're playing for, uh, you know, Caver. You know, Kobe Cave from North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Play for Cave, yep. Um, yeah, I think the, if you see McDavid in those videos, yep. Oh my God, he looks unbelievable. He looks pissed off that he wasn't in the MVP uh, voting. You think? <laughs> um, Speaking of hockey, Drew, we should uh, all our listeners again send a quick prayer and thoughts out to a uh, friend of the show, Eric Howard Chuck. His dad's uh, battling again. He's going to come through and fight tough. So, uh, Eric, we're thinking about you. Thinking about Dale, rest of the family. So, uh, it's got chills. So, Howard Chuck, strong 10. And Eric did tell me, I mean, I don't know if I was to tell anyone, but you know what? You know, it's going out Thursday, that website. You know what? Go purchase a shirt. It's for a good cause. He's a legend, Hall of Famer, and help him get through, uh, through, through this uh, terrible disease. Um, I want to say a quick congratulations, or we want to say a quick congratulations to the contest winner that we uh, announced, Kurt Giannini. Kurt Genie. Genie and a bottle. Videos up on all our social media pages, which again, Facebook, Off the Hosel, Twitter, Instagram, or at underscore Off the Hosel. Go have a look, comment, like, share, tweet, retweet, hit us up, like us. We like you. Oh, that was good. Yeah, getting better at this thing. Well, yeah. Okay, I have nothing else more for you. <laughs> so uh, it's Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday. I don't know, actually, whenever you listen to this podcast. So if you're not listening to this podcast and not using my booty or drinking our Molson products or Last Mountain Distillery or going to stream hockey or going to Brownies Golf Shop, or, you're dead to me. Or Timberstone. Or Timberstone. Or buying our stucco or going to Player Golf or going to Golden Tea to buy a Golden Tea game. Or you're my, all dead to me. Or my booty. Or my booty. Have I said my booty? My booty. My booty. Troy, always a pleasure. Have a great rest of your week. Weekend. Take care of that house of yours. And uh, let's set up golf on this again. Let's do it. Let's take that out. Long weekend. We'll see. At least I can beat someone. You're right. <laughs> Peace, bro. Take care. You really think watching is going right? I was walking with Memphis. I like walking. I just think speed, you know? Amen. Have a great week, guys. Peace.